Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Hi everyone, and thank you for joining me for part two of my conversation with Sarah, an Australian cardiac diagnostic specialist whose near-death experience last year radically transformed her life and her understanding of what her purpose is on this planet. Since Sarah and I recorded this interview, she's been dedicating her time to the formal study of meditation and mindfulness practices and will attend Harvard University's Mind Body Institute this month to gain further accreditation. It's quite the journey. In this episode, you'll hear about some of the after effects of Sarah's NDE, her new understanding of the intrinsic role spirituality plays in our overall health, and her insights into suffering and how for her it's been a wonderful teacher. She tells me about her ongoing connection with her late father, Jack, and how three weeks after Sarah's NDE, he also visited his granddaughter, Sarah's daughter, in a dream visitation bearing important information about Sarah's rare autoimmune disorder. Sarah also shares an astonishing story about a dream visitation she had prior to her NDE when her brother-in-law, who died in tragic circumstances, came to her with a message for her twin sister. Sarah has some very moving insights to share at the end when she sums up the most important lessons she learnt during her NDE. So please stick around for those. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sarah, which picks up with me asking her about the book that was shown to her during the NDE a book she now knows she's destined to write. As well as your life review and the amazing reunion with your father, that mm. would have brought so much solace to you, you know, he'd only passed not long before that. Mm. As well as that, you had the incredible download of information mm. just before you returned to your body. Mm. And um in our earlier chat, Sarah, you mentioned that in the download you also saw a book that you would write mm. and that mm -hmm. subsequently you've had mm. further downloads of further mm. books. So they're all lined up there waiting. Yeah. <laughs> There's so which, much. <laughs> which is a little bit for me, I I am medical. I'm not a writer. <laughs> I don't have I don't have the skill. However, I do have the passion and need now to change my course of my life. Okay. And I find it very hard. I, I, I loved my work. It was very rewarding. I loved my patients. I found it very hard when I got so sick that I had to leave my work. Mm -hmm. That made me very sad because yeah. I enjoyed every day knowing I came home and I 
helped someone or I helped alleviate someone's suffering or I somehow that day had been of service to someone. Mm. It was very hard for me to walk away from that role. I have questioned whether I try to return to that. I'm still trying to have the energy to return to a normalish life. Yeah. Uh, I am obviously very well now compared to what I was, but I feel I have been shown what my purpose is now and I have to honour that. So tell which, us what your purpose is. My purpose, I feel, and my calling, and I feel I'm being pushed to it, is to write and is to hopefully share my experience or um, my insights to try and maybe share my perspective on what a beautiful love and love really this, as simple as it is I think we can we complicate everything we, we're just such such complicated humans in that we complicate everything and we let lives rule us we get so caught up in the stress of life and the stress of jobs and the stress of family and I understand that because I was living that life day to day. Mm. I would like to try and help us awaken to how we can still live a life where we are productive and where we can achieve but where we can honour service and love and balance and harmony. I think if we achieve inner balance and inner harmony, it's much easier to be that for others I think harmony of mind body and soul is very very important and I think we can't achieve any of that without spirituality I think it is an important intrinsic part and component of how we achieve harmony amongst all of us Mm. and I would like to try and accomplish that without polarizing and without ruffling feathers and just Mm. say it's simple it's really simple it's just love love for one another and love for earth, love for earth, look after the earth that we have, look after the animals that we have and look after each other. And I would like to somehow, and I don't know how, and I'm not worrying about the how I do, I don't worry or stress anymore, I Mm. used to. Mm -hmm. Now I just accept my assignment and each day educate myself and hope that, I can be up to the task and do what I would and, and, and bring forward a perspective and hopefully a new way of being, a new age and a new, an, an awakening of sorts in that we could all unite and be amazing. It would we, seem like you're primed for this role and it's almost as an outsider having just met you and hearing your story it seems like your entire life path has led to this and Mm. you are a scientist who has had this awakening and you are just, you have this unique perspective Mm. that is melding science and spirituality Mm. that you can offer now to others, this shared, you know, this Mm. harmony. You spoke of harmony. It's almost like you're harmonising the two, science and spirituality. I think suffering has been a wonderful teacher Mm. and... I don't like to use the word suffering because I will never, no one will ever hear me say I have suffered. But other people bring it to me and say you have suffered so much pain and you have suffered so much. But each instance of suffering that is brought to me, 
I will say, please give me one example in which I have suffered. And one person said to me, your stroke, you suffered so badly with your stroke. And I said, but if I had not been taught that lesson, when my own father had a stroke, I would not have known how to care for him with beautiful compassion and know that when he couldn't speak, he was still speaking with his eyes. And when he couldn't swallow, to have the patience to spend one hour giving him a teaspoon of food, I wouldn't have had that within me. So I didn't suffer. I was, I was being taught a beautiful lesson mm. that I would need later in life. I am grateful for that. That taught me such a such an important lesson that I would need. I would need that skill later in life and I would need it to serve a man that I tr- had so much respect and love for and who deserved it with all that he had offered and all that he had gave. He deserved someone to be able to give that back to him. So, no, I don't believe suffering has been anything that I've endured. I believe I have been given beautiful lessons and that has given me gifts that I am now equipped with skills that I didn't have and I am very grateful for them. When I hear you talk about your dad and the listeners don't have this privilege but I can see how your face lights up and you, you smile and your eyes light up, it's really beautiful. But it would just seem like the relationship between you and your dad is one of the most incredible testimonies of love after death. You know, there is no death. There is only love. Mm. Listening to you talk Mm. becomes so apparent to me that Mm. the force of this love between you and your dad, it was much more powerful than quote-unquote death because there he was, age 40, as you saw him, and with his stethoscope around his neck. (laughs) I um, am very grateful to him for him being the one to come to me and to bring calmness and peace to me in those few moments where you do realise you are no longer living and transitioning and bringing, being with me and being by my side and calming me down. And he brings that to me afterwards as well, which I have needed at times. Because you have an ongoing connection, don't you? Mm. Mm. It didn't just stop. Well, Mm. I want to hear a little bit about that. But before that, I just want to touch on, in general, your Mm. understanding of um, there being no separation really between life and death. When we had our earlier chat on the phone, Mm. you described it as a a veil like as thin as a Mm. tissue that's between Mm. our world and theirs or our dimension and theirs. Mm. Talk a little bit about that. That I, my understanding from how I understand it is that when we all reference a, a heaven or a divine realm, we often look up to the sky mm-hmm. and we say it's up there. And my understanding of is while it is up there, it is also here. And it's okay. our dimensions are layered upon one another so that, yes, they are right beside us, but they are just in that other dimension. And to try and use a visual of how we would understand it, I'm compelled to use tissue paper or baking paper or something thin that if I placed it right beside me, then that dimension would be right just through it and it's layered upon this dimension and it's hard to think of it when we 
it, we're in a three-dimensional world and everything is three-dimensional, so how can it be layered? It's just, it's just layered, it's just here. It's, just, it's layered right beside us in another dimension right here. So I think when we can see or sense our loved ones close by, they are. They're just in this dimension right, right through the tissue paper, right yeah. just next to us. And it's just like looking through it and, and you can feel them and you can feel the energy right with you because that dimension is just laid upon ours and it's not far away. It's right here with us. That's my understanding of it. I, okay. It's, it's a hard concept and even I struggle occasionally until I go, but I understand. It's, it's just a layering of dimensions. Yes, okay, that's great, mm. a lay layering of dimensions. So this understanding actually it began to dawn on you some years ago, didn't it, Sarah, when your brother-in-law passed away. Can you tell us that story? Being a twin, um, most twins would agree is a very different connection to a sibling connection. Mm -hmm. You are very closely intertwined and connected. Um, my twin sister and I were very, are very close and unfortunately four years ago she lost her husband in a surfing accident and was very distraught. He was the love of her life. They were soulmates. They were brought to one another. They were a true, beautiful love and soul connection. She was and is devastated and she needed to come back here and with her two daughters and try and cope with how do you put a funeral together, how do you bring a body back, try and do all that when you can barely breathe yourself. It was three weeks after he passed. It was not a dream. It was the first vision I'd ever had. I, I, was, I was asleep, but then I was aware of being in a different consciousness and I was brought to a beach where I stood on a beach and I looked up now her husband was a life surf saver and he um, belonged to a club I looked up to the sky and their beautiful white light mm -hmm. that I had not seen before yeah. but saw again right. when I passed over so I had not seen this beautiful white divine love light it was my first experience of that feeling and that and what it looked like. It parted and a life surf saving boat descended down and her husband was at the helm of the boat and he looked as he did in his twenties and had all his hair and was healthy and was actually very proud of it. I, I remember that in that conversation it wasn't a conversation but I remember the communication that look at all my hair look <laughs> at my hair and and look at how you know fit I am and and he stepped off the boat and he came up to me and he said you must get Jackie for me she is not she's she's not answering me she's not responding you must get her for me mm. and I said I'm trying and he said you need to get her you need to get her and i I said, okay, and then he said, come with me, and then we were at her house that she lived in, and he pulled back the curtain to the entry, 
and he said, she's looking for my brown plaited bracelet that he used to wear and she can't find it. And he said, you've got to tell her it's here. And he took me to their built-in cabinetry and pulled out a drawer and hidden at the back on the floor was the brown plaited bracelet. He said, you need to tell her it's here. And then he also told me where his watch was to give to his son. And then he looked at me and he said, please tell her I'm okay. Tell her it is okay. I am okay. And then he smiled and then he walked out the door again. And then I woke up like eyes Mm. open, wide awake, knowing, and I had the same feeling I've got now (laughs) on my skin, um, like goosebumps almost, knowing that it was important. And the next day I was hesitant to ring my sister and bring this to her and tell her about it because of how fragile she was. I said, have you been trying to find something of John's? And she said she wasn't, she didn't understand what I was saying. And I said, "I I think John came to me last night to give you a message. He told me to tell you to go and look behind your dresser on the floor. And she did. And she said, I have been looking for this everywhere to wear it was right where he showed me it was in in right where it was in hidden at the back under the bottom drawer and she picked it up and she started wearing it from then forward and that was needed because she had hit a point where the funeral had just happened and she didn't think she could go on this helped her know he was still here looking after her and he knew that she was looking for that bracelet and that she could wear it and feel him with her. It helped her breathe a little bit easier. That is an incredibly profound experience and in the literature of these after-death encounters it's got that rare ring of of evidential proof which Mm. a lot of these experiences as beautiful and transformative as they are they don't often have that so that is amazing Sarah Mm. that he told you and only he could have known where his bracelet was yeah and that she was looking for and that she was that she was desperately looking for it's extraordinary because she knew he loved it and she knew he wore it all the time Mm. um and she was yes actually desperately looking for it she really wanted to wear his wedding band and his watch the hospital in Perth had lost so she didn't have those. And this was the only thing that she could remember him wearing yeah. that would have been in the house that yeah. didn't go to Perth with them. So she was in a, a position of thinking she wouldn't ever get his watch and ring returned. And this was something that she really, really wanted to find. So John told you where his watch was as well? His, um, the watch that he was wearing in Perth was, I think, a newer watch, but there was an older watch that he used to wear that he wanted his eldest son to have Ah, that's right that's what you said and his and his older son now wears it all the time as well mm. so you were right on that as well yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, amazing. it's yeah. amazing it was in a it was in a little brown carved box on his desk mm. incredible and like your bond with your father it shows that love transcends death and it's powerful enough to mm. do so it's probably the only thing that can do so Yeah, I think um, I have beautiful love for my sister that Mm. only twins, I think twins have Mm. a very true connection 
and I was breaking as much as she almost, I feel. My, um, I was almost finding it hard to breathe myself through her pain. Speaking of our loved ones and their presence in our lives, your dad continues to be very present Mm -hmm. and, in fact, three weeks after your near-death experience last Mm. November, he appeared to your daughter. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. It was actually um, New Year's Eve. It was probably four weeks after. So, um, yeah, it was New Year's Eve and my eldest daughter had also had a beautiful connection with my father. When she was born six days later, I bundled her up and took her to work with me every day. So she <laughs> she grew up in the practice with my father wow. and, um, until until she went off to school. But we have spent time living with my parents, and so she was very much, very very much a part of his life as I was almost like he. Very, she loved him and adored mm. him and followed him around and and just. They did have a beautiful connection in them, in their own right. Okay. Um, but in her, so I was at this point awaiting approval for treatment for a new experimental drug, a new immunotherapy, which we had to get approved by the federal health minister right. and the department to use here. The process is, can be expedited in cases like mine okay. where, where you need to get approval. So we've had a few weeks of trying to get approval for the new treatment and get me onto it. Emily, my eldest, who far superior me in intelligence, she's a very smart girl, um, like I said, had been when I was first getting, when I got very sick at the beginning of the year, spent weeks searching all the research and un- she un- understood it and knew it and was bringing it to my doctors and she was the one that brought this new drug to them and actually the treatment that I was on that gave me two years of a remission she was the one that researched and found it and brought it to the attention of my medical team so twice she's been she has been the one that has found treatment for me overseas and brought it to the attention of the doctors here so I have a lot to thank her for she's a very compassionate soul so this New Year's Day, she rang me. She was not here. She was in Sydney and she rang me to say that she felt that she had had a vision with Jack, mm-hmm. my father, had come to her. And she said it was very it was very vivid, very real. It was not like a dream. It was the vision was I was in a hospital bed and she was sitting beside me and my father, Jack, came into the room dressed in his hospital coat mm-hmm. with his stethoscope and he sat down on the bed next to me and then reached out and held Emily's hand, my daughter's hand, Emily, yeah, and looked at her and locked eyes with her and she said everything at that time seemed to slow down mm-hmm. to make and she said she knew that what he was going to say, she knew that, what she was seeing was significant. She just knew her yep. consciousness was saying, this is significant, pay attention. Okay. And she just had an awareness, like a, an observer even, most awareness of what was happening mm-hmm. and to say to her brain in that state, this is important, this is significant, 
somehow that was being communicated to her. So she was aware of that. And before he said anything, she said she just had that sense that he was about to say something that she really needed to know and was important. And he said to her, you're a very special girl and you need to listen to what I'm about to say. So he then he said it to her and then he said, are you listening? And she nodded and then he said, you need to remember this. And then he showed her a computer monitor, so like showed it to her and on it they were talking about a drug called Humira. Humira, and okay. Humira. And he said, and then they were showing an image of a research paper on Humira, which she had researched for me. And he said, you need to look at how did they come to the results on this trial. You need to look at how. And I think she said, what have they missed? Or what have they missed? What? Mm. How did they come to these results? What have they missed? He made her repeat everything he told her word for word and then while she was repeating it, he was nodding at her and saying like, yes, and then she said she was aware of tingling through her body and then she was aware of like wide awake, lying in bed wide awake with this feeling of tingling and very aware that something significant had just happened. Wow. That's amazing. That's her first experience of anything. Right, right. So, so yeah. your dad's implication was, and, you know, you mentioned mm-hmm. to me earlier that you're still unravelling this, all of you trying to unravel yeah. the message, but the yeah. implication seems to be that something has been overlooked in your treatment and that, or, or that there's a, I, a better option. Mm, that this drug may be a better option for me. Right, yeah. And that the reason it was precluded from me using it was that the research paper that he was alluding to or showing her had mentioned limited results in people with my disease. Maybe there's something in the patient selection. We're we're trying to work all this out. I see. And trying to put together because it is a viable treatment option if it works, but it's very expensive like most of the treatments I am on. But she was very aware that it was not a dream and this was something significant. The link between you all as a family too and this love Mm. that transcends Mm. death but it's also the love between the living people is Mm. beautiful, Sarah, Mm. it's so beautiful. And also you said, I just want to pick pick up on something you said earlier about the strangers and your love for strangers and how that is manifesting in you at the moment. Tell us a little bit about that. I um, have been very lucky to be offered treatment that has saved me but it comes at an extreme cost and at an expense that we were not able to come up with. I was in hospital on after my near-death experience. I was obviously taken to hospital the next day because I was very unstable and remained there on very high doses of pulsed methylprednisolone which is a very dangerous treatment in itself they don't like to do it my advice from my team were because the chemotherapy had stopped working and we were just trying to keep me alive somewhat with this high doses of prednisolone that I had had it pulsed in and they were thinking maybe five days that it would keep me 
alive for, at which point they would hope that I could try and get this new treatment in to me to rescue me. They didn't want to do another high-dose methylprednisolone treatment at five days because they thought it was too risky. If they didn't have to, they didn't want to. The treatment quote was 7,000 an infusion. Oh, gosh. And I needed to have it on day five. Yeah. And then I needed to have it again on day 12. Mm -hmm. And so that's another 7,000. And then I was in hospital and Emily, my eldest, came to me. And obviously we were thinking, well, how does one come up with that amount of money in five days? Yeah. And then again in 12 days and then indefinitely. So my gorgeous little Emily set up a GoFundMe. And in five days, managed to get the money to have my first dose. So what I say is people from across the globe that I had never met through their own experience of this disease mm. and through losing their own loved ones to this disease mm. and through their own suffering found a beautiful, compassionate love for a stranger who they didn't know and enabled me and donated money to enable me to have life-saving treatment. That love now lives on in me. That beautiful love that was extended from family and friends and strangers and the stories that were messaged to me and the love that was extended to me from these beautiful, beautiful people that I have had a connection with or I haven't but now do. Now that lives on through me and I need to honour that. I feel the need to honour that beautiful second chance that all these people have given me and the way I honour that, I hope, is to serve with love and try and help ease the suffering of others that have my condition or any other rare condition that are too sick to have a voice, that are lying in a bed somewhere needing life-saving treatment but can't get it because it's been invented. Someone was smart enough to invent it, but the name of your disease means you don't get it. That I find incredible and so so upsetting because mm -hmm. I know what it feels like to lie in a hospital bed and know that there is treatment out there that can save you yeah. but you don't have access to it because you have a rare disease and the name of your disease means you can't have it. But however, if you had a different name, you would get it. That has resonated deep within me. I would like to hopefully be able to stand up and say, okay, I'll help fight this fight for others, for the next person, for the next person that is lying in, in a bed and feels like they don't have choice. And like me, couldn't handle, I was, I, I got to the point where I was, I can't ask people to donate money to help me live because there are so many other causes out there that are more worthy or it, I was very distressed. It distressed me greatly and I am so touched and so humbled mm. by the beautiful compassion that was extended to me, it in itself has transformed how I view everything. It has touched me so deeply how beautiful, how beautiful people are when they, when they act in love. And so it affirmed the message of your NDE. Mm -hmm. And you were saying to me, Sarah, how since your NDE you have this new understanding of forgiveness and non-judgment and compassion it's mm. very profound and an expanded empathy mm. that means that you you cannot 
bear the thought of suffering that you feel it and tell us about that mm-hmm. how you can touch another and feel mm-hmm. their suffering since your NDE yeah I um it's quite weird I <laughs> if I um the first time I experienced it I had placed my hand on my husband's chest and I felt without him speaking or acknowledging anything I felt everything he was feeling all the pain inside him and every emotion that he was feeling and if I took my hand away it went as soon as I placed it back I could I was almost tapping into that and the same if I hold the hand of a friend or of a child I instantly feel what they are feeling and if it's even an awareness of pain but definitely a heart pain or a soul pain that sort of pain and that suffering I'm tapping into somehow and I don't know if it's the expanded awareness or if it's an energetic awareness but I'm now very aware of very aware of suffering it it taps into me and I um feel as if my purpose is to try and ease suffering however I can in whatever capacity I can and I think suffering is a beautiful way to teach us compassion I think it is the birthplace of compassionate love I really do I think through suffering we find true authentic connection with one another and that is where the birth of unconditional love and compassion lies within a true authentic connection of knowing knowing one another through their pain knowing that yes. suffering on a personal level opens that connection up and i think that allows us to honor our connection and sarah does it strike you as extraordinary that you are di- you are still diagnosing hearts and diagnosing what's in hearts but you're doing it in a very different way these days. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, um, that's a nice connection. I hadn't thought of that. I do, I do feel like I would love to honour my father's legacy of continuing to care with compassion mm. for all and the fact that he dedicated his life to hearts that would be nice if I could continue that legacy on, if not in a different format. Yeah, that's, that's lovely. Thank you. I like looking at it like that. Thank you. That's very nice. I appreciate you bringing that concept to me. It's incredibly, it yeah. seems incredibly poetic and amazing to me. And just on that, you have some beautiful plans for the future in terms of your research into energy the role of energy in Mm. our healing and also you your plans for doing the pilgrimage of the Camino Mm. in Santiago de Compostela Mm. tell us a little bit about that well I think um with everything it's I I don't know the how (laughs) and I and I'm not stressing about the how I am just following my intuition I even from a very young age from a very little girl I've had a very strong intuition and I'm trying to really listen to that mm-hmm. and follow where it's leading me. And where it seems to be leading me now is I've become very curious about mind-body medicine and yes. very curious about the research. And I guess 
not looking at it from my own perspective, but also from my perspective, if that if I would like to, if I would like to help ease suffering, and if I would like to help bring healing to those who are in a similar situation to mine with a rare autoimmune disease, but don't have medical knowledge and don't have a medical background it's yes. it's frightening it's oh, it's i often i often think how lucky i am that i understand what i understand and that i have a beautiful supportive family who understand when we re- when we read research and we understand what all the treatments and drug trials yes. mean it would be very frightening trying to do all this without without any of that background sure. or knowledge so if i can bring any knowledge to it or any understanding of what I'm finding out now is that I think autoimmune disease, it is a genetic component. That is for sure there is a genetic component, but it needs to be triggered. The general consensus is it's an environmental trigger or it's a stress. Stress is a trigger or an environmental toxin. And I think we were touched on earlier about the epidemic of anxiety and depression and stress. Well, stress is a big factor of everyday life. And I think stress was a big factor in triggering my autoimmune disease. Okay. I truly believe that. I had a very stressful, very, very stressful, high-powered life. I didn't know how to balance it. Mm -hmm. I'm now learning the beautiful art of meditation and Mm -hmm. the beautiful art of how it, and I started practising it myself to help deal with chronic pain and to Mm -hmm. help deal with the pain that I had with the meningitis. And that led me to being curious about the research being conducted with meditation processes. And I found all these little breadcrumbs that have led me to look at looking at research being conducted at Harvard University by a doctor called Dr. Herbert Benson. And he's described the stress response. And now he's also described the relaxation response. And just to paraphrase it quite quickly, it's basically a program that now has looked at how we elect a relaxation response in our bodies and in doing so what does that affect and the research now is showing that of the 50,000 genomes in our body the epigenetics so that's how our genes are expressed right and and can we change the gene expression right and what they're showing is of those 50,000 there are four genes that we can change the expression of them one of them is autoimmune disease. So if we can change, we can't change that we have the gene, but we can change in how it's expressed. And that change can be elicited through this relaxation response, which is a technique of meditation and mindfulness and getting back Incredible. to the mindfulness. So it seems that mindfulness doesn't only enhance our feelings of well-being and our feelings of well, you know, overall well-being, but also it might be therapy. Mm. It might just be medicine. If our bodies are able to deliver their medicine rather than taking a drug, and I, look, I'm not saying let's all stop taking drugs. No, what I'm saying course. is this is opening a very important conversation. We really need to try and understand the power of the mind-body connection and the power that, yes, while we may be taking, I may be taking this treatment, but the minute I stop, it gets switched back on again. How do I stop this disease from switching back on? And how does all the other millions of people with Mm. autoimmune disease, how do they stop it? Mm. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could learn a technique that was just that simple? 
it would have implications that I would I'm very very interested in it I'm I think the research is significantly statistically data that we can't ignore I'm now becoming aware of while I have honored western medicine and I still continue to honor all the advances and all the amazing magnificent procedures we can do there is there is a place for mind body medicine now and a place for us to start recognizing that it's not not just mind body medicine but it's mind body soul medicine and the connection of those is imperative to our physical health and not only our physical health but the well-being of everyone and the planet we need to honor that connection individually and united i'm hoping to be able to write a book hoping to be able to write some a a book or programs or workshops or somehow find out how i can help in this capacity Mm. because autoimmune disease is now the biggest cause of mortality and morbidity in the united states we are not far behind there's research, there's money for research for cancer, there's money, but autoimmune disease is the silent killer. Mm-hmm. It's the one that people aren't aware of. And I have been on the fight of my life to still be here. It's a very isolating disease. Yes. It's very isolating because when it's a rare disorder, the, a lot of the medical practitioners haven't even heard of it. I can arrive to emergency and no one there knows what I have Gosh. or how to treat me and I have to tell them what to do. And I think how lucky yet again how lucky I am that I understand this but then my mind also goes to those poor people that aren't in the position like me you know who don't have the medical background and don't have the knowledge base that I have it must be isolating so much more so than what I've experienced yes and frightening and I would like to be what I needed I needed someone to come and say it's all right this is we've got workshops we've got programs that we can incorporate into your conventional western therapy we'll just incorporate it's just like taking another pill but it's not it's a program of well-being and it's a program that addresses mind body and soul we incorporate that and bring about well healing bring about healing on all those three levels what an amazing possibility what a what a beautiful prospect mm-hmm. That's what I. That's what I'm aiming. That's where my feet are heading. That's yeah. where I'm. Every day I wake up and put my feet in that direction, and my intent is to do all of this with unconditional love. And we were talking earlier about judgment and forgiveness, mm. and I don't judge. A life review is a very good way to teach you. Judgment has no place <laughs> on this earth. Um, I have no judgment of anyone, of how any of us get to where we are in life. I think we are all throwing curveballs. We are all throwing situations that face plant us on the ground mm. and it's, sometimes it's really hard to get up mm-hmm. and sometimes we need someone to hand, put out a hand and say, let me help you up. And if I can be that hand for people that are suffering with rare diseases or autoimmune diseases or anything, I, I want to be that hand if I can, if I'm humbly allowed to serve in that way I will would really like to that is my passion and my desire now we've just referenced the Camino Mm. I would I have a I have a rule that if something's bought to me three times I can't ignore it (laughs) (laughs) a funny little rule in our family and this was bought in a in a matter of a week I actually had not heard of it 
um, about two months ago and it was brought to me three times in a time frame of five days. Wow. And I was, this is, and, and the first time it was, it was brought to me by a stranger that was passing by, I, um, it came to me, I would, I have to do this. I have to do this in honour of the people that didn't get the opportunity to survive this disease right. and didn't get to walk. I would like to honour their fight. And not only that, honour the beautiful gift that I was given of a second chance and all the people that donated to my GoFundMe to give me treatment, to give me that chance of treatment, to say, if you would like to come walk beside me, I would love for you to join me. But if not, I walk on with the love that you showed me. I walk on with that in my heart to say thank you and to raise awareness and to say to anyone who's been touched by rare autoimmune disease, who has lost a family member, who, if they would like to come walk beside me in honour of their memory, you are all welcome. That's my plan. And I have not, I've not been able to exercise for a year. I've been too sick. But now I start. Now I start <laughs> training with the intent of uniting, uniting and connecting everyone that's been touched in some way to join me to honour this fight mm -hmm. that people face yeah. and hopefully raise awareness. And that awa and awareness will bring about more resources, I hope, for research and hopefully we start finding ways that we can access treatment in on a compassionate way for all. Yes. Mm. Well, that is an incredible goal, Sarah, and um, I don't think that there's anybody who would have listened to our podcasts with you and not be changed and not have uh, food for thought and um, food for the spirit and the mind. <laughs> um, so just before we go today, I just wanted to say if you had to sum up what your main takeaways were from your NDE and what you would like our listeners to remember, what would it be? I think... It's simple. Love. We are all here for a purpose and that purpose is to serve one another in love, in that beautiful, unconditional love, compassionate love, in service of one another. And if we could all unite in that love, we would have an amazing, wonderful planet that we live on where we are all united in that that is my main takeaway, that we are all here to love and serve in that love and that there is a beautiful, beautiful force of love out there that we return to and that this is just the beginning. It doesn't end when we take our last breath. It's just we go on to the next chapter and this is the beginning. We're, we're in we're in kindergarten. We're we're in we're in a classroom where we're learning our lessons. And some of us, I take a long time. I'm I take a long time to learn my lessons. But we are all here learning our lessons, and it's we are we're in kindergarten. We're playing and we're having fun, and we should take we should we should take that spirit of children into our day. I mm -hmm. think live each day as if it's your first, mm -hmm. but also live it as if it's your last. Hold your loved ones one second longer. Like every day you sit around the dinner table and say, how lucky am I that I get to sit here with my family? Every, every day we have the option to remember and honour that, that great 
great connection of love that we all have with family or friends or whoever, whoever your love, your family is, whatever format it comes in. Yes. We're all family. We're all connected. We're all family. Those people that are there for you and love you, hold them one second longer. Breathe them in. Take time to look at the sky and look at the sunset. Take time to feel the air on your face. Just like a child in kindy, play, have fun. <laughs> Be excited about what we can do. Don't stress. Don't worry. <laughs> don't. When you're in kindergarten, you're not worrying about oh, what am I going to do when I'm 20 or what? You, you just you're just learning and having fun and playing and being excited and bring that energy into every day. And if you think it's not possible, kindergarten children don't do that. They don't go. Well, that's not possible. <laughs> so all so all the things that I've put forward in the last few minutes with you. I could say, well, how could I do all this? I'm not worrying about the how. I'm just worrying about my intent of wanting to help and the rest Beautiful. will take care of itself. And that's that's what I – but I think the main takeaway is love each other. Love each S other. Serve each other. Yeah. Serve each other yeah. in love. That's my take home. Well, Sarah, we can't thank you enough. I can't thank you mm -hmm. enough. With thank all you. my love from my heart to yours. Thank you, Thank Karina. you very much for being with us today on the Spirit Thank Sisters you. podcast. And Thank we'll you be looking out for what you do in the future, that's for sure. <laughs> I'll keep you posted. <laughs> Start training. You'll have to walk by my side on the commute. I'm coming. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much, Karina. Lovely to talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story.